wait for the noise to go, shall we? <laughs> that was heaps fun, wasn't it? <laughs> Those kids are great. The reading this morning is in Acts chapter 8 and starting at verse 26. If you'd like to join with me in opening your Bibles or you can read from the screen, I hope. Yes. Okay. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem and Gaza. So he started out, and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of the treasury of Candace, which means Queen of Ethiopians. This head man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The spirit told Philip, Go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you are reading, Philip asked? How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. This is the passage of scripture the eunuch was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter. And as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, Tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. As they travelled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, here is water. What can stand in the way of, me be, of my being baptised? He gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and, bap and Philip baptised him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared at Azotus and travelled about, preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. This is God's word. Well, it really is a great pleasure and honour to have Daryl with us this morning. Uh, Daryl is a seasoned follower of Jesus who's been using the gifts that God has given him to serve his people and his church so well. For over 20 years, Daryl has been a Baptist pastor uh, in various contexts and countries. He is a, a he's been a denominational leader, a theological educator in, in four different contexts. Um, he's currently serving as the director of research at Whitley College, which is the Baptist Theological College of Victoria. Um, he is passionate about following Jesus, his family, uh, Beth, Kai and Karis, and Jeeps. And uh, it's wonderful to have Daryl with us here today. My connection with Daryl is through Malling College. And uh, also, Greg and Bridget Bonner heard Daryl share at Reach Out Conference. And at their encouragement, we said, let's get him along to come and share at Erina. So, Daryl, it's wonderful to have you here today. Thank you for coming to join us. Daryl's wife, Beth, is the lead pastor at St Ives Baptist, and he splits his time between Melbourne and Sydney. Um, I'm sure it's a, a dynamic and a remarkable life that, that it requires a lot of juggling act, but all in the service of God's kingdom. So thank you for being here, Daryl, and we warmly welcome you here this morning. 
Thanks, Joel. You're very kind. Um, you know, um, I often think that there are two kinds of students um, that I've uh, taught over the years. There are those uh, that you're very happy to bump into at a Baptist assembly, a Baptist gathering, because you know it won't last too long. Um, and then there are those who you are delighted to bump into in a coffee shop, and Joel's one of those. Uh, it's been a blessing over the years to have uh, seen Joel uh, work in ministry, train as a student, and uh, I'm sure you're very well aware that uh, God blesses others through him. So it's a real joy to be with you this morning, brother, uh, and uh, worship and share God's word with you. Yesterday I was down um, walking the cliff tops around Bondi. Some of you may have already done that uh, previous years, maybe this year, uh, visiting sculpture by the sea, sculptures by the sea. And uh, you know the thing about sculptures is they're often difficult to interpret, aren't they? So you know, one year there was, I was down there and there's this big round boulder and on top of it there's a tiny little stone, a little pebble, and it's infinity. Hmm. Right. Um, there's a big stick. I mean, massive, the biggest stick you've ever seen, and it's just kind of sliding into the ground. The label says, stuck. <laughs> New Zealand artist. <laughs> you're awake, you're awake. <laughs> We'll not talk about rugby. That was painful. It was painful. Um, this year, though, um, with my wife and a friend visiting us from the UK, we were walking around yesterday afternoon as the sun was setting, and uh, up on the big uh, park area just uh, above Bondi where they put a lot of sculptures, there was an area that we'd not visited on, the, visited on the first way through. There were kind of some strange kind of constructions with uh, what looked to be like fairly dried up gum uh, tree leaves scattered over the top. And um, on the way back, I said to Beth, uh, we didn't visit that little area. We should do that before we go home. And we walked around, and there's these kind of strange building things. And, and then suddenly this person approached us in this lime green uh, T-shirt and said, I'm a, an exhibition guide. Would you like me to explain what you're looking at? And we said, oh, yes, please. I mean, can you do the infinity one at the same time? Because we didn't get that one. So she said, I, these are um, booths. These are booths that have been interpreted by the Jewish artists, and they describe the annual Jewish festival that you and I, if you know your New Testament well, Feast of Tabernacles. It appears in the Gospels. And so these five or six pieces of um, built sculpture were trying to capture something of what it would mean to have these booths, the Feast of Succoth or Succoth, by the sea. And what was remarkable was here you had two guides who were clearly Jewish, who were there just for those five exhibits to explain to passers-by something about the importance of the festivals and their impact upon Jewish identity, she made reference to the state of Israel, um, in that whole uh, conversation. And it seems to me that uh, this is what this particular passage in Acts uh, chapter 8 is really trying to help us understand. You often think about mission as being about going or, or being sent. 
But this passage is central to the book, the unfolding story of the early church in the book of Acts. And here we have the story of the Ethiopian. It's his story. And that's really the only story we're going to spend the next three hours looking at, (laughs) or so. The story of an Ethiopian who encounters the Jewish people at their best, with all of their festival, all of their ceremony, in the holiest of holies in Jerusalem. And yet, just as we yesterday can only ever be the onlooker, the outsider looking in, so he goes to Jerusalem and is the onlooker, the outsider, the person who looks in. Because every Jewish festival is designed essentially to underscore the fact this self-understanding that the Jews have this exclusive claim on the attentions of God. This was a privilege that foreigners such as you and I could never appreciate, never understand, never experience. That is, of course, until Jesus challenged all of that. The Jesus who includes the excluded ones and the Jesus who encouraged his followers you and I, to continue to live and to understand that at every stage of what it means to be followers of Jesus. This feature of the early church is a constant reminder, a constant challenge to the human obstacles that are put in the way of individuals who want to earnestly seek and to know the holy God of the people of Israel. The apostles and their activities shatter the norms of their day as they offer the possibility of relationship with the eternal God, the creator God. Such a sharp contrast to the prevailing religious practices that were found in the days and time of Jesus. Philip, we read together, is one of those early church leaders. He's caught up in God's movement out to all people. He's caught up in the move of God's Spirit to this particular opportunity to witness to one man, a significant man, though, as we read. Acts chapter 8, verse 26, we read that an angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south of the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. There you have on the uh, screen behind me the journey that this Ethiopian would almost certainly have made northwards as he wound his way up to Jerusalem from Ethiopia down in the south. Of course, there is the possibility he went by boat, but in this particular part of the journey, he was in a carriage, or as the text says, a chariot. Philip goes over to this party of individuals, probably more than one. I mean, this is an important man. And as he goes close, we read, he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of the treasury of the Kandaki, or Candace, which means queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone up to Jerusalem to worship. And on his way home, he was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. That's the scene. That's the picture. Luke portrays it very in a very brief, concise way. He, this Ethiopian eunuch, in charge of the royal treasury, if you like the sort of minister for finance or the the chancellor of the exchequer, an important wealthy individual travels north to do what? To worship. 
to visit the temple of the Jewish people. Why? Well, it's odd, strange. Here's a man, presumably, in whose heart the Spirit of God has been working already. It doesn't require Philip to start that process. God's Spirit has already been at work in this man's heart. We're fairly sure he wasn't a Jew or of Jewish descent because of the fact he was a eunuch. Few Jewish parents would have allowed that to happen to their child, if any, because it obviously prevents the possibility of circumcision. Now, you don't need me to give you a a medical uh, explanation at this point, but you can't be circumcised if you are a eunuch. Therefore, you can't be a Jew. So you exclude somebody automatically from the possibility of participation in the Jewish community. So God's been at work in the heart of this non-Jew such that this particular man is prepared to spend vast amounts of money, his own wealth we assume, to head north up to Jerusalem. And to go, when he's there, he wants to go and encounter God. This God that he's seeking to understand and to find and to ask, can I in any way find acceptance with that God? Now here's the site or something similar that he would have encountered when he was there. He, of course, would have visited the Temple Mount. And it's probable that that was more or less what it looked like in, its, in his day. The problem was that as a non-Jew, as a Gentile, he was forbidden from entering the innermost courtyards of the Temple. Now you'll see from this image that In the center, you've got this temple complex, the the main temple building. And just around that, you can see here, it describes it as the balustrade or the sorek. And then beyond that, outside of that, you have the courtyard of the Gentiles. He was allowed in there, but not into the innermost courtyard. And just in case there was any doubt in his mind whether he was able to go in there or not, there is, in fact, an inscription This has been unearthed by by archaeologists. There were several of these placed by the entrance to this inner courtyard of the Sorek. These were built into the balustrade around the temple. It's kind of welcoming missional church stuff. (laughs) Whoever is captured will have himself to blame for his subsequent death. And just in case you're not sure, that's an inscription in Greek and in Aramaic possibly in Latin as well, just to be totally sure. So, you know, welcome, not. (laughs) So, you imagine what it's like for this Ethiopian eunuch to find himself in a temple. Now, of course, the problem is that the Old Testament law makes it very clear that he isn't welcome because we also read that not only is he a Gentile, but we read is a eunuch. And Deuteronomy chapter 23 verse 1 says that nobody who has been emasculated by crushing or cutting, the language is um, somewhat ambiguous, but that's exactly what it means, a eunuch, may none of the, no, no such person may enter the assembly of the Lord. So he's excluded on two counts. Gentile, eunuch. Can't go in. He can only stand outside in that place, the courtyard of the Gentiles. So, of course, he goes to the courtyard of the Gentiles. And in that beautiful 
prayerful place, quiet place. He kneels down on the floor, lifts his hands to the heavens, and he addresses the Lord of all. Only it's not quite so quiet. In fact, it's a riot. It's chaos. It's smelly, noisy. Why do we know that? What did Jesus do when he went into the temple courtyards towards the end of his ministry? What did he do? He found it full of animals, yeah? He found it full of people trading. Because the courtyard of the Gentiles was the place where all of that kind of trading and bartering took place around temple worship. There were doves, there were uh, lambs, there were bigger animals um, that were ready for sacrifice and people coming from afar with the wrong kind of money, they would change the money and Jesus goes there and this place that Jesus says is what? A house of prayer. You've turned it into a, a den of thieves, a marketplace. So this poor Ethiopian, he travels all the way up from Ethiopia, goes to the holiest of holy places in the whole of the Jewish religion and he expects, we assume, to find a place where he can quietly pray but it's a farmyard. It's not what he expected. However, we assume that in that place, something there is made possible. That's the reference there to Jesus overturning the temple tables. We find something quite remarkable happening in the, the temple courtyards. We don't know what. We don't know what conversations, of course, this Ethiopian eunuch has in the courtyard of the Gentiles. But somebody, somebody with a bit of smarts about them, realizes what this man is about and gives this man what he needs. Let's go back to the text in, in Acts chapter 8. This Ethiopian eunuch, Verse 27, we read, he'd gone to Jerusalem to worship. On his way back home, was sitting in his chariot, reading the book or the scroll of Isaiah the prophet. Who gave him that? Who suggested he should read the scroll of the prophet Isaiah? Well, there are several possibilities. We can only speculate. Uh, it's possible that um, there was some kind of uh, radical um, priest uh, or rabbi that uh, knew that this man was kind of seeking to worship Yahweh, knew his old or knew his Bible, his Torah, that it was impossible for this man to worship, but had given him a book, a scroll, and suggested maybe you should you should get hold of a copy of the scroll of Isaiah. You'll find something encouraging in there. It'll be helpful for you. We don't know. Possible. But anyway, this man has with him a scroll of the prophet Isaiah. Now you and I, you know, if we need, um, if we need a Christian book, where do we go? We go to Kurong or is it Cornerstone? There's a local Christian bookstore around here, isn't there? Cornerstone. You go down there, don't you? And you get a book and it's what? $30, $40, uh, whatever. But this guy gets a scroll. How much does a scroll cost? You know, they print them off the, you know, Amstrads and Apples. And they've been printing them for centuries. All those old computers. Handwritten. Handwritten. How long does it take to write a scroll? 
long time. Did they do it free? No. It's a lot of money. But that's okay, he's wealthy. So he gets hold of a copy of the scroll of Isaiah. Now it is possible also that it wasn't a rabbi, but perhaps in the temple courtyard, in the courtyard of the Gentiles, he meets a different bunch of people. Do you remember back in the early chapters of the book of Acts, where did the early church meet? We met that they met daily in the temple courtyards. Yeah. So maybe there was a bunch of Christians praying there that day when this guy wanders in and he's looking for God and he sees a bunch of people over in the corner that seem quite happy. They're singing the latest Matt Redmond or the latest Hillsong song somewhere. So you can tell they're Christians clearly. And um, he wanders over to them and he says, guys, what's going on? Get into conversation. Think about how many times the book of Isaiah is quoted in the New Testament. You need to get hold of a copy of the scroll of Isaiah. You're going to find it helpful. So it is possible that these unknown believers were part of that uh, exposure and invitation to this man to consider the purchase of the scroll of Isaiah. There's one other thing that we need to remember that happens around the temple uh, mount. If you've uh, been to Jerusalem, any of you uh, in recent years, and seen the excavation work, you'll know that around the uh, temple mount there are now uh, these uh, 30 or so uh, baptismal pools, the mikvot, that were used to ceremonially, ceremonially cleanse people who wanted to become part of the Jewish religious system. And they would, uh, uh, both male and females, usually get cleansed and then the male would go on and be circumcised. And so he would have been at the Temple Mount and seen this happening. And so that becomes part of the story, of course. Because for him, the whole process of baptism is also a later part of the story. But just for now, let's hold it there. The Word of God does its own work. Because what we have is... Philip walks up to this chariot, as I've already said, probably a kind of a covered wagon. You've probably seen those kind of medieval movies and there's some wealthy individual inside the carriage, curtains drawn on either side to keep the dust and the flies out. Um, I wish I could find a way of that for my Jeep because there's always dust getting inside somehow when I'm off in the bush. But anyway, the, the, the carriage uh, has got these curtains either side and, and Philip comes up close and presumably... Um, here's the man reading, because often the practice with um, uh, the Jewish uh, reading of the scriptures is they read them out loud. And so presumably this man was reading out loud um, from the scroll of Isaiah. And so Philip's kind of listening in and, and then realizes that the man may not actually understand what he's reading. So he says to the man in verse 30, Do you understand what you are reading? The man says to Philip, how can I? Because I've got nobody to explain it to me. So he invites Philip to come up into the carriage and sit with him. Now we read in the book of Acts, chapter 8, very clearly, that the passage that the Ethiopian unit was reading was this passage. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation he was deprived of justice, who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. 
the invitation to Philip to share his understanding of the greater story of God's love for the world is at the invitation of an Ethiopian. Now Philip is, in a sense, the one who acts on behalf of God, but God is at work. God's been stirring the heart of this Ethiopian back in Ethiopia. He's been stirring his heart in the temple courts in Jerusalem. He's been stirring his heart as he's been reading the word of God, the book of Isaiah. And Philip comes along inside of him and says, do you understand what you're reading? And the Ethiopian just invites him to explain. That's what mission is. It's an invitation to explanation. It's what the Jewish people were trying to do with myself and my wife yesterday. They were trying to explain something about their faith and why it was important to them. Uh, wouldn't it be wonderful to have seen the local Baptist church up there, you know, with a similar exhibition? Just a thought. <laughs> Here's a question, though. And this is where I speculate. I think, I think I speculate correctly. But that passage that he was reading comes from the book, the book of Isaiah, of course. Now, if you want to turn to the, if you've got a Bible with you or a, uh, an iPhone or some Android version, um, you may want to just quickly turn to Isaiah 53. That's where the passage comes from. It talks there about um, an unknown individual who grows like a tender shoot, who's got no beauty or majesty. He's despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering. Of course, the early church sees this in this passage, a clear reference to the coming Messiah, to Jesus. But I don't think that's why this man had the book of Isaiah. I don't think the early church or the rabbi if it was a radical rabbi who would suggest you buy the scroll of Isaiah, that's not why this man had this scroll. Now, if you've put your finger in chapter 53 and open to the next page, if you've got a Bible like mine, that's chapter 56 is on the next page. Turn the page. Here's what we read in chapter 56, verse 3. Let no foreigner, uh, that's an Ethiopian, who is bound to the Lord say, the Lord will surely exclude me from his people. That's what I felt. I felt excluded. Let no eunuch, oh, whoa. This is hairs down the spine, chills down the back of the spine moment. This is about him. He's a foreign eunuch, excluded. This is what the Lord says. To the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, chooses, who, choose to please, who choose what pleases me, who hold fast to my covenant, to them I will give within... Oh, man. This, is this real? I will give them within my temples and walls a memorial and a name. Whew. This is exciting. This is God doing his mission. How on earth could Isaiah, writing this all of those centuries before, have understood or potentially foreseen that at some moment in the future, God's people would use this particular passage to start a whole movement of people to Christ? 
foreigners who bind themselves to the Lord to minister to him, to love the name of the Lord, to be his servants. These I will bring to my holy mountain. That's the temple mount. And give them joy in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and sacrifices will be accepted on my altar. I cannot go there. Isaiah says, yes, you can. And this shapes the early church fundamentally in terms of what happens beyond that point. That's exciting. And when, of course, this man, having read that passage, continues reading in chapter 53, and of course in the scroll it's not turned the page, it's just turned a few couple of knobs and you're there on the next sort of section of text. He reads this passage and wonders, who is this about? The same character in this chapter is bound up in what I've been reading in chapter 56. And Philip explains who this is, points him to Jesus. And this individual, our Ethiopian eunuch, immediately asks for baptism because he's seen it. He knows that's how people enter the Jewish religious system. And so for him, it's clearly obvious that when Philip steps into that chariot and opens up the word of God to him, God is beginning to reveal and make plain to him his word and his will and his purpose, even for Ethiopians. Through faith and baptism, God gives this man a new name, a follower of Jesus, a worshipper of the one true God, faithful disciple. He gives a new inheritance that is better than being sons or daughters. The name that Jesus gives to us, of course, can be spoken in many voices, whether they're Ethiopian, Jewish, Korean, Cantonese, English, American, Kiwi, Italian, whatever. All are invited, all can draw close to worship God in the Holy of Holies, no exclusion. And your mission and my mission is to help others understand that that same journey is possible and open to them too. Let me just finish with a story now that um, about 18 months ago, um, we uh, at St. Ives Baptist decide we have a, a nice big not quite as big as your posh garden out here, but we have a, we have a patch of grouse and um, some hedge rose down the side. And we thought, how do we get people into the, from the neighborhood into and onto the church site? So that particular Easter, we ran an art festival. Um, well, kind of, yeah, art, art gallery outdoors. So on each side of the um, entrance up, way up to the church, we had about 13 or 14 paintings and some sculptures, you know, infinity. No, no, no. no. Um, <laughs> Uh, but all basically retelling different parts of the Easter story, leading um, all the way through to crucifixion and then resurrection. And um, we just created a very simple um, A4 folded, a little illustrated brochure with each of the images and a little piece of text for people who came. And it was open for the whole week running up to Easter. And uh, the first day, we, um, we noticed... Um, a gentleman come in. He was clearly not uh, European. Um, we weren't quite sure, but looked to us, seemed to be sort of Indian background. But he came in and he sat down, uh, walked around, and then sat down in front of one particular painting. Um, about the second or third day that this had happened, somebody wandered over to him and uh, sort of chatted to him and said, you've been here before. And in very broken English, he explained 
that um, he uh, very apologetically uh, could only speak, really speak fluently French, um, but he was from Mauritius. So um, the next day, we're only a small church, but we've got, we got three people in our congregation who speak French. So the next day, Fran was on duty. Fran speaks French. And uh, she wandered over to him. I won't even try and uh, do the French conversation backwards and forwards, but in French, discovered that his name was Babu. He was a French-speaking Hindu Mauritian who had no clue what this art gallery was about, what the art exhibition was about. He had never heard of Jesus. And so she explained a little bit about what these uh, pieces of art sing uh, signified and invited him to church on Sunday morning, as you do, Easter Sunday. So anyway, Easter Sunday morning, Babu turns up, French-speaking, Hindu, Mauritian. Never heard the story of Jesus before. Comes to church, and over coffee, gets to meet the other two French speakers in the uh, church, who spend the next 30 minutes with the um, guide to the art exhibition explaining the story of Easter. Now, he's a Hindu. What do Hindus love? Images icons, pictures, so exactly appropriate for his way of understanding the gospel message through pictures. They explain the story. And it's uh, as the pastor and they say, look, you know, he's, this is Babu, French-speaking uh, Hindu from Mauritius, um, wants to know more about Jesus. She said, why do you come back next Sunday? Well, no, there's more chance to talk. And next Sunday, We'll try and get hold of a French-speaking, a French-language Bible for you. So in the in the week, uh, off she went to Kurong, um, and uh, bought a scroll of Isaiah. No, she bought the um, the French Bible. And uh, wrong story. Um, bought the uh, the French-speaking Bible, the French-language Bible. Gave it to him. He disappeared. That's Philip. Philip never sees this Ethiopian eunuch again. Off he goes back to Ethiopia. Babu goes back to Mauritius, because that's where he's from. Never hear from him. Apart from the fact that his um, daughter, a few uh, months later, turns up with his grandson and says, uh, my grandson uh, would like to join your youth group on a Friday night. So he's been coming along every month to the youth group. And then, um, of course, that gives an opportunity occasionally for my, for my wife to catch up with um, daughter of Babu. And, and so this Easter, just before Easter, she said to her, how's Babu? Because, you know, we're interested. Never heard from him. How's Babu? Oh, she said, he's very busy. She said, all right, well, what's he doing? Oh, yeah, he's, he's, he's really getting busy and ready for Easter. <laughs> what? Yeah, 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 his church, they're doing really important things around Easter. And so it's a big, important Christian festival, I understand for you Christians. And so he's, he's getting ready as part of the church community. Wow. There's something of Philip and the Ethiopian in that story of Babu. The French-speaking Hindu from Mauritius who encounters Jesus and in his own way begins to understand the story of Jesus just as the Ethiopian eunuch in the chariot, in the wagon, begins to understand who this chapter is about, Jesus. Sometimes you and I will never know what God is doing after you have been able to share a word to share part of your story of faith, to share something of God's good love for humanity in and through Jesus Christ. We never know what the consequence of that be. We never see those people again. Just occasionally we get a glimpse 
of what God has been doing and what God will continue to do. It's such an encouragement to recognize that in this story, in the church of Jesus Christ, there's no holy of holies that's reserved just for Christians, just for Baptists, just for Anglicans. There's no inner courtyard that's reserved only for people like you and me. There are no balustrades that warn of death if you go beyond them. God only welcomes us in Jesus Christ to a place of encounter, of repentance, and of transformation. He calls us to a journey of faith. And Acts chapter 8 is an echo then through history that we're all baptized into the one name of Jesus. This is his church, and it will endure. Let's pray, shall we? Loving Lord God, whether it be an Ethiopian unknown by name, whether it be a Babu, whether it be many others known to us, you continue to call men and women, calling them to a new experience of what it means to live as followers of Jesus, as children of the Creator God, the loving God. So we pray, so, inspire, so in, encourage us, so inspire us in our own understanding of this story that when we meet others, it might just be an overflow of the love that you have placed in our hearts because you have been at work already in the heart of the other. Help us only ever to see ourselves as that opportunity, of bringing the opportunity of explaining to somebody what they already sense, what they already feel, what they already wonder. Enable us to answer with conviction, with humility, but with great boldness. Lord, help this to be our mission. For we pray in Jesus' name.